Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. As well as the Making Star Wars Podcast Network. In the early 2000s, the Phantom Edit was the most hyped under-the-table VHS tape in Hollywood. The purpose of the edit, according to creator Mike J. Nichols, was to create a much stronger version of The Phantom Menace based on the previous execution and philosophies of film storytelling and editing of George Lucas. Whilst to the casual Star Wars viewer, the differences to the film might go unnoticed, but many in the media misleadingly sensationalized the red-hot underground tape to have totally edited out Jar Jar Binks. Recently, Ahmed Best, on his exceptional Field Notes YouTube series, spoke out about the hurt the edit caused him. On this episode, the Phantom Edit's creator, Michael J. Nichols, returns to the podcast to discuss Ahmed's comments and fan discourse and criticism then and now. And my take on it, I think I even say it in, in the commentary, the announcement was, is I like to take stuff like that and see what you could, like, what if he could win back 50% of those people that hated it? Mm. Like, w- analyze it. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. And so that became a project for me as an experiment, as if I worked for them. And they said, hey, we're testing this. It's not working. What do you think's going on? And that was the, the point of that stuff. And ironically, I, I think that his perspective on it has to do with the journalists who they would say, hey, so uh, we'll do this like... What is it? What is it really about? I'm like, well, it's a, it's an idea of taking the philosophies that George Lucas did and the narrative training about how you perceive. And you go through with all these words, and the journalist just sits there and goes, right, right. So basically, you cut Jar Jar Binks out, right? That and we're going to put that, in, and that's just what they went with. Out of all of that words and verbiage that that went through about something, the way I would explain it, or anybody would explain it, all they heard in there is Jar Jar Binks is cut out. They make artwork that had X's on him and, and cut him out of pictures because it was just something that could sell new. That's the way journalism kind of is. This is Steel Wars episode 183. The Phantom Editor responds to Ahmed Best. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And this week we are back to our classic interview format of Steel Wars interviews, the the format that put us on the map in the top 300 Star Wars podcasts. That's where we are. And one of the things that also put us on the map was episode 16, our interview with the Phantom Editor. And today he returns. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Mike J. Nichols. How you doing, mate? I'm doing wonderful. And Although it's going to get hot. Well, that's what I was saying. We're in yeah. your editing suite at so the moment. So people know that you're going the extra. And we just had to turn... Editing suites are hot by their nature, all the computers. And podcasting by its nature is hot because you have to turn off all the fans in the room 
to get a good sound, which is that was three minutes of turning things off. Yeah. So now we've got like just the heat of just talking in LA plus all your computers. So I I feel like I'm going to be a uh, a leaner podcaster by the end of this episode. Sure. For those that aren't familiar with the Phantom Edit or your story. We did a uh, an extensive deep dive into your... Um, I find it one of the most fascinating stories in Star Wars is the Phantom Edit and the media circus around it back in, in 99. It's all there on episode 16. If like people it, really, back, it really is. It, it, it is, it is a, a serious deep dive and that's one of the, the Patreon episodes. So if you want to um, get the full episode, it, it's a buck and you can and listen to that and all the old episodes for a month. I think you're going to get your dollars worth out of Mike's interview. I think I might even pay to hear it. Yeah, I can hook you up. I know someone. Okay, I know someone in the biz. Yeah, talk I, I, I am. Um, you're, you're not kidding though. That really was an extensive deep dive, and I even mentioned to you that I hadn't talked about a lot of that stuff. I'm not sure you wanted to talk I, about any of I, that. I stuff. think I said that too. I think it, it took um, a few months of emails. I had to track you down. You were hard to find back then. Now you're out of your shell. I think you're texting me. I think what the I, I think the idea of being is I just hated like talking about it in in its own way, and the world is. I, I mentioned it. The world has changed now. No one cares. In ten minutes, everybody's the fish in Nemo. Like you just forget, and something's new. Well, speaking of people not wanting to talk about it, and and and, and talk about the Phantom Menace experience, like one of the reasons why we've uh, lined up today is Ahmed Best. Jar Jar Binks has been doing these field notes. The, the YouTube sort of, he's just speaking to his uh, phone on YouTube because he's preparing for this one-man show he hopes to do next year. Oh, I didn't even know that part of it. Yeah. So he's sort of, um, he's sort of been a lot more sort of interactive, like in the community at the moment, posting up these uh, YouTube videos. And I have to say, the account is, it's just Ahmed Best, and I'll link to it in the show notes, that they are criminally underwatched. Like, it's just fascinating. He's just so honest. Yeah, when you pointed me in that direction, I I did think that the numbers were lower than I thought they would uh, be, too. Yeah, right? Yeah, surprisingly. Because it's good. It's, I don't know, it sort of bums me out because... I'm not sure how much you follow what happens on Star Wars on YouTube, but there is so many trash channels that pretty much just make stuff up you have answered the question like i just decide that that economy of star wars i don't bother with it because it is it's and and they get like crazy numbers and then you've got like this guy that is such and just such a part of star wars history and and giving these amazing insights so in a week's time, uh, guys, come through for me. Check out. There's three of them up. They're about 10 minutes each. And he there's one about um, Andy Circus and, you know, the whole mocap thing. And he's I, I admire just how, like he sort of says, like, sometimes I just think it's, it's not fair that he's him and I'm me. And, like, I don't get, I don't get props. Like, I, I, I admire that bearing of your uglier side like you know you, you, you should, like people don't normally go online to say 
that they're jealous or they're envious or they've got these negative feelings. So I, I really admire that, like how upfront he's going to, he's being about it. And, you know, if, I, I sure hope this one man show comes together. And I actually went to see, he directed a play. The play I didn't know about, but the, the, the TV show thing that he did. I had a friend that was in, in that. Uh, What's the TV Neb- show? Nebulous or Nebula. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he mentions that in reference to yeah. the, um, but we'll, we'll get to that. But let's, just preface for those that aren't aware of your story. What 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 is the Phantom Edit? I will actually say you say what it is. I like hearing you say what it is because I may delve into like some. I like hearing what you said. Okay. Well, I I don't know. I've got a weird relationship with you. I think Mike because you're like this little angel that made two Star Wars films that I liked. You made me like them a lot more, and and with your edits because. I guess your story is that you're a film editor, a bit disenfranchised, a bit disappointed with The Phantom Menace. So when it came out on VHS, because your profession was editing, you thought for a bit of fun, you would sort of trim up certain scenes to be more appealing to yourself. I I would say more along the lines that when you do learn this in a scholastic sort of way, one of the first things they do is they would give you dailies or programs of older shows, like Gunsmoke was a mm-hmm. show that we would take a, uh, an edited version of Gunsmoke and redo it. Add new sound effects. We did it with the, the show, uh, the movie uh, The Abyss. Added our own sound effects and stuff. So you were always doing that in an educational sort of way. So it is an exercise to just do that. It wasn't anything different than I already I was already doing stuff like that. So uh, figuring out why to do it, I don't think it was necessarily from my point of view. I think that there are philosophies and stuff, and I have books up there. When you read about what George Lucas thinks and how he would do these interviews, there are certain ways that a movie should be made in his, you know, put the quotes around, like the way his movies are made. And he violated his own philosophies in that movie and it's just like how do you not know that you've been professing this for years but you are breaking your own rules in this movie so the idea was is just to apply those rules to that and make it more the movie that it seemed he would have been making are you trying to out george lucas george lucas michael what do you mean out him just out him out by his rules it's like yeah i, I think that probably was one of those things but see now we're saying this later you know how when people come on a podcast, they go, hi, everybody, today I'm going to talk about... And they act like they're talking to a, a fan base of a whole bunch of people. Uh-huh. But they don't have a fan base yet. Like, you just make the videos with the idea. Are you mocking my lifestyle? No. This is everybody that does it. Like, <laughs> that's why I'm like, hey, I made this for all the fans. But there's no fans. There's nobody even knew this existed kind of a thing. But I, from the our original interview, I, I seem to remember that you didn't really... It was like... One of your friends that sort of said, hey, you should... I had so many of the pieces that he would come over and look at him, and I think he was just sort of angry that we had to stop and then jump to something else and do that stuff. And he's like, would you, just, would you just take all the pieces and put it together? And I know that sounds ridiculous now, but to have all that content on a computer hard drive was relatively uh, groundbreaking for that time period. Uh, for those that are a bit younger, I just have to preface that... I've got this bizarre memory of being in the 90s in the big mall in uh, Melbourne. Chadston, for those in Australia, we all know Chadston. We love Chadston. It's it's the mall that eventually will take over the entire country or 
just it keeps spreading. But going past an electronics store and they had a computer playing and it had on a screen in a window, Empire Strikes Back was playing. Really small. And I remember just staring at it going, how did they get Empire Strikes Back in this computer? How, like, what is happening? How is it? And it was so weird to see it on a computer. Like, it was just weird to see video on a computer. Which now is unfathomable. Yeah, even the idea, like, computer screens, uh, TVs were very different in their color and texture and everything than than a computer screen. Mm. And that was always why you could never combine the two. But now... They've just made all new technology, the flat screens, which are basically the same electronics as a computer screen. So they're one and the same. So even the way video looked with the old two TVs look different than the way they do now. Like yeah. all that aesthetic is different. Yeah, it's just like, what? A, like, why did that stay in my mind all this time? But it was Cloud City and I remember just standing there going, I, I just don't know how it got in there. I, I should go in and ask. Do you know what I mean? That must be the... I actually do remember thinking that must be such an expensive computer. But you'd be right. (laughs) You would be completely right. So, you ended up at the uh, request of your friend putting together the whole movie. Yeah. I bet it is a package. Then... You had a friend that worked at a video he, duplicating center or no, something? No, no, that he worked at a, an office that made movies, kind of lower rent movies. Uh-huh. And he would talk about it, saying, hey, I watched this thing. And the different people that worked there were all like, well, how do I see this crazy thing that you're talking about? So he asked for a VHS copy and he made a checkout system at this office that was an agency. And they also made these lower rent movies. And different employees would sign a list. He would give them the VHS. They'd go home. They return it and they'd sit in the coffee room and talk about the movie. And it began to get talked about in all these different places. And he's like, I think I might need to make a second one, you know, for, for people. And that's how it went for months, that most everything was coming out of that one uh, building. And, and from that one tape, it led to a, a legitimate media frenzy. You could, it, was, it was the hot tape at Times Square to buy. 300 bucks a copy. 300 really yeah but it wasn't that was the thing is it i had heard it advertised that they were selling it for 300 dollars, but then there were people who were coming in making their own packages and stuff but it would be like porn or whatever was on the inside you didn't know until you walked away gotcha so they were trying to rip people off too yeah and and also a bit of a manhunt with people trying to work out who you were and it sort of at the time it was when like Napster was happening Mm -hmm. and and, you know bands were fighting back against that there was a whole copyright thing and you had sort of made and we'll get into this but an expression of fandom is how I see it and you weren't getting any kickbacks from these tapes but you know they'll get it was getting duplicated across the world and you were kind of getting blamed for that in a way it became a amalgamation of everything that could even be bootlegging or whatever that story would always kept including mm. this phantom edit thing about well a bootleg of this and a bootleg of that that's how it all kind of came together and it um it didn't do much for you it wasn't a good time i didn't like that time i, I told you that i, I I think if it would have been later when YouTube, you'd be like, oh my God, I got a lot of hits and things mm. like that. I still don't know how I would have felt because that just never the intention. And I really did my best to never tell anybody who I was 
my peer friends, I kind of had no choice. And they would like see you and be like, I know that guy. Like that would happen. But I liked being able to do the interviews unknown. Mm-hmm. And I could talk about things that meant something, but I didn't ever have to have a face or a name attached to it. I think I had to pay a dollar to message you on Facebook. You told me that. That is true. You did do that. <laughs> you did tell me that. What do we, I don't know if they still offer that. I thing. didn't get the dollar, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> Zuckerberg. The dollar didn't go to me. Zuckerberg did that really sitting happen? on that dollar. Wow. It was like some service that if someone, I don't know, if they weren't following you or whatever, you could pay a dollar. For the permission to, to send a message. To get a message to them. Yeah. Because I was desperately trying to work out where you were. Because it was like one of the, when I had the idea to do the podcast where I'd interview people about Star Wars, I'd listened, I'd, I'd watched the two movies, the, the Phantom Edit and Attack of the Phantom, and listened to the commentaries. And the commentaries are actually up on YouTube with the film. The actual film without the commentary is not there. Apparently it used to be that same person. I, I had posted it and that just gets removed uh I, I think because the sound waves yeah. match up a copyrighted thing, so it disappears. I actually, I find it more interesting with the commentary because I, I sort of find, I'm not sure if this is how you see it, but I think it's success to me is that you can show it to someone that's not like as into Star Wars as me that would notice the differences and they could just go, hey, that was pretty good. And they wouldn't know it's like a different, like, do you know what I mean? There's not I like, do. there's not like, I saw an edit today, um, I don't know if it was the Adawan one or something, but they'd put in, they'd enhanced the Empire Strikes Back Hoth battle and there was ATSTs, like more of them in it and stuff. And, you know, that obviously you go, oh, that's different like because I can see that thing. But with the Phantom edit and the Attack of the Phantom, it's, it, it blends so, like it doesn't change the film. Do you know what I mean? It's not like a, you're not repurposing what characters are doing or something like that. But um, Ahmed uh, spoke about it this week. What, what was your initial, when I'd message you, it was like, oh my God, he's going to talk. Because I think he sizzled it on Twitter or something. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm just a massive fan of what he's doing. And I find it very interesting. But what did you what 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 well, feelings went through I, when maybe like you know one of the top five people in the world that might not like the Phantom Edit is going to speak about it, and 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 a man that you know he just seems so kind hearted. Yeah, I like him. I had actually seen the some of the stomp stuff that they had done in that dance troupe thing, and I knew that he's very good at contorting his body in a really unique way, which it sort of makes sense that they would choose him. And I like him and I know people who actually know him and whatever it is he is, has been doing, whether it's some sort of stand up or something that he ha- has shows that they go to. I've never been to one, but everybody loves him. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. He directed a, a play at the, um, I think it was the Zephyr Theater on Melrose. And I went to opening night and the play was amazing. And I sort of like, I've not, I've, I've like communicated with him, but I've never like spoken to him. And I sort of, I sort of saw him there afterwards and he was with his friends and it was just this, like it was, you know, it just seemed like he was having really, you know, it was a success and everyone was having a great time. And I wanted to go talk to him. I was like, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't pop his bubble. Like, do you know what I mean? He's had like, 
this amazing night and I didn't want to be the dude to come up to him and go, hey, remember Star Wars? Oh, that's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. Because like he'd gonna- know, like, he'd, like he would know that's like me from like Star Wars. And yeah, I just couldn't. I remember just looking across him in the foyer and going, I can't. I can't do it. I'll, he, I'll send him a message and say the play was great, but I just couldn't pop his bubble. That's that's, that's fair. That's that's actually neat that you did it that way. Yeah, because I wasn't sure, and because I'm not sure if you know about this, but a couple months ago, and I, I think I'm not sure if it was due to the whole Kelly Marie Tran thing, because she sort of got like mm-hmm. harassed off social yeah. media. But he came out with this photo with his son at a bridge and sort of had said, like, this was the bridge I was going to throw myself off you know, almost 20 years ago because of the reaction to The Phantom Menace. I'm here with my son. Do you know what I mean? Good things can happen. You know, like, do you know what I mean? And it's, I don't know. I, especially in the past, like since The Last Jedi came out and it had such a diverse reaction and sort of, for me, depressingly, such a overzealous reaction for people that don't like it. Like, it's sort of like, how can you be so angry and so vile about like a film for 12 year olds? Like for me, Star Wars is a film for 12 year olds or people that want to remember being 12. That's the sort of mindset I think is the best way to go into it. Do you know what I mean? For me, it's like, it's this little capsule to like, Hey, let's be idiot kids again. Let's like, you know, dream a dream, that sort of stuff. And it's, so it's sort of, upsetting that this like amazing thing that inspires so many people to to like do stuff is being like co-opted with this like it's like how are you so angry about the space wizard film either watch it or leave it be be. yeah that the whole thing but can i say something of course and this is it's your interview apparently well well, this 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 is what i was uh, we were going to say about uh about the phantom edit and when i watched the ahmed best thing and uh i used the word earlier but it's like he he explains that there there was an awful lot of distaste and a lot of hatred and lots of things all aimed at the movie now he might say himself but the movie itself was not liked and people talked about it and there wasn't as not liked but but this is you can't like you can't speak in absolutes about, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like it was liked. Yeah, it was like one of the top ten films of all time, money wise. Yeah, but, but also, you, it was no, like no, no, the, the most disappointing film of the year, also. But it also, when I when I, I've interviewed many people about Star Wars, and for especially people that were that, like, if you were twelve when the Phantom Menace came out, you thought it was pretty good. That's what I found. Do you know what I mean? So that's like, I always like to qualify things with it wasn't well liked or it's like like a certain amount because I, cause it was liked. Do you know what I mean? And it was hated just by different types of people. Much like, you know, The the Last Jedi, you know, like it's, you know, it's loved and hated. Do you know what I mean? Well, his take on it was is that it wasn't liked in in his video and that was something that had started in 1999. Mm-hmm. And so there was already this atmosphere. There just wasn't an outlet for many of these people to do that. Message boards, and there wasn't a, a Twitter or something. And I was saying that from my point of view and where I was at, that that movie was something that people had thrown away into the trash. And if the comments, they were all very negative. It's like, fuck that. And, but, you know, it was very 
harsh that way. And my take on it, I think I even say it in, in the commentary, the announcement was, is I like to take stuff like that and see what you could, like, what if you could win back 50% of those people that hated it? Mm. Like, w- analyze it. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. And so that became a project for me as an experiment, as if I worked for them. And they said, hey, we're testing this. It's not working. What do you think is going on? And that was the, the point of that stuff. And ironically, I, I think that his perspective on it has to do with the journalists who they would say, hey, so uh, we'll do this like, what is it What is it really about? I'm like, well, it's, a, it's an idea of taking the philosophies that George Lucas did and the narrative training about how you perceive. And you go through with all these words and the journalist just sits there and goes, right, right. So basically you cut Jar Jar Binks out. Write that and we're going to put that. In, and that's just what they went with. Out of all of that words and verbiage that, that went through about something the way I would explain it or anybody would explain it, all they heard in there is Jar Jar Binks is cut out. They make artwork that had X's on him and, and cut him out of pictures because it was just something that could sell new. That's the way journalism kind of is. They focused on that. And when he talks about it, to me, he's talking about that. He's talking about this journalistic perspective and he's using the term Phantom Edit, but I don't think he's ever seen it. I don't, I don't think he's seen it. I think he's seen the result of it through journalism because if he did he'd know that he's not cut out of the movie and the editing is more about making the character be appropriate than being missing from the movie well i listened to the commentary today and there is a line where you do say it's it's a ridiculous concept to try to to move him out yeah yeah and and i know i um you seemed to be uneasy that I was listening because you were sort of like, hey, you know that commentary? I recorded it like 18 years ago. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not something that I listened to. Or... It stands up pretty well. It stands up pretty well. And it, it it's also, a, you know, an untrained, like literally just sitting down with notes. There's no notes or there's no script or anything. Mm. It's just, you just roll with it. And if I got tired, you'd stop it and then just pick it back up again a few minutes later. I don't like to listen to it. <laughs> I, I, if it was me, I wouldn't want to listen to it. Like listening to my own yeah. like podcast, it's like hell on earth. But I hope everyone else enjoys it. Hey, um, yeah. hey, hey, having a good time? All right, five stars on iTunes. Very good. Merchostore.com is jam-packed with Steel Wars t-shirts and stickers just put up on general release the Steel Wars content tee and that's up there along with our shill I'm Ray's parents and the classic Your Snoke Theory Sucked Tees plus as a special incentive over the next seven days if you use coupon code PHANTOM you will get $5 off your t-shirt order check it all out at merchostore.com links in the show notes Ahmed said that um, he found it insanely disrespectful to the artists that worked on the film. Now, for, this is this is my take. Like, I'm not someone whose work's getting edited by you know some dude like in his editing suite, but I find the Phantom edit like I don't know, sort of like the best sort of criticism of a film. Because you're not just like online or writing a blog going, this sucks, they suck, I'm going to make up a name about that dude and call him that. It's like you thought 
it could have been edited in a better way that more suited your sensibilities and you did it. And it's sort of like you produced like an artistic like piece of like a re-edit of the film, a reinterpretation, and it's it's there for people. It's not you yelling at people going, it sucks, it sucks, George Lucas sucks. It's like, oh, here's how I would have rather it been. Here it is. If I was his employee. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you can now watch it. Like I sort of find that maybe it's, it's a weird interpretation because he says it's like it's insanely disrespectful. I find it like, and I'm not in this, mm-hmm. but I find it insanely respectful. I thought so, as well, and I still do. And I think that his qualifier is it's disrespectful because all those people spent so much time doing that effect that if you're cutting that effect that they did out of the movie, that's what's disrespectful. They they spent time and weren't with their family and stuff. Like that qualifier. And I'm like, that's kind of like a demo reel, though. Like, you, you uh, the Lucas's own philosophies is to not showcase the expense of what you've done for sets or costumes or anything. The story is essential. Well, his comment about it, it, it kind of makes me think he hasn't, seen it I, I i totally believe he hasn't seen it because it is a weird thing with the phantom edit because it was sort of co-opted by the media as the edit that chops out jar jar binks yeah. I, i'm sure you've come across this is when people watch it and jar jar binks is in it you're like oh this is the wrong one i i read that this it didn't have jar jar binks in it but it's like like i i wonder if he has seen it to see like, what did you do? Like, one of the things that um, you mentioned on the commentary is that good film editing is you come into a scene late yeah. and you leave early. And one of the points, which was a really sort of light bulb moment for me, is you've got all this tension getting built up about this planet and, and this battle that's about to happen throughout the movie. And every scene where they're building up this tension, the bubble tends to get popped by Jar Jar Binks, you know, like like doing the exclamation mark at the end of... Like, he gets the last word in a lot of scenes. Uh, appropriate or not. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you sort of, like, tidied that up a little well, bit. Well, the, the, you know, even the idea that at the end of that whole miscalculated battle at the end of the movie, when it's absolutely over at the end and the, and the robots come up before that's disabled, you know, before Anakin blows up the ship. This is so weird because I haven't seen this movie in forever, but before Anakin blows up the ship and makes them all, Jar Jar throws his hands up, goes, I give up. Like he gives up and he's supposed to be like a general. And at the end, they let him go in part of the celebration. But the movie just told you like multiple times, the movie tells you that he was banished because he was clumsy um, and that he was sort of a worthless character. And if there was an arc to be done, it's that Qui-Gon realizes there's some sort of value to him and they let that fall through the movie, letting him be accidentally heroic in the battle at the end of the movie is a payoff to the fact that he is a clumsy person. And that, But when he just does that and goes, I give up, he just threw away every bit of good he ever did. That's the other reason that it annoyed me from what you're trying to do is that Anakin apologized for all the mistakes that he was doing which accidentally ended up blowing up things. It was always oops and whoops and things. Um, 
Yeah, I remember that. I, I, I cherish my opening night memories of Star Wars films, and I seem to have a really good ability to remember these things. But I do remember when he was like, oops, like when he blew And I was like, no, no, this does, he should have done that on purpose. Like he it should. should have been like like anger or something. Like it should have been a, like a, a like a a call forward to what was going to happen. Absolutely. Not a banana peeling. And 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 for me the the banana peeling in the sky and on the ground I I find that sort of frustrating like in the film sort of thing that it's all happening like two different things happening by mistakes. It's sort of like and 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 I I know I say this in there that it now is a contrast in that his heroics that happen are based on the fact that he is that character. Mm. Jar Jar's heroics are because he's clumsy, but it just it works out for the situation. But the movie that George Lucas made makes them parallel that they're both just characters who accidentally became heroes by doing these dumb things. I'm like, I don't understand why that's interesting, and he wouldn't. I don't believe that he thinks that's interesting. So, I don't know. How did that hit you? The insanely disrespectful. Because I like, I like, like I know you not super well, but we've known each other for a fair while now, and you don't seem like the sort of you don't seem like the bullying type, Mike. You seem very unassuming and just happy to go about your business. And I don't know what was that like. I felt because I've gotten a lot of like entertainment out of, out of your work. Like I was sort of like, Ooh, like, like I hadn't thought of like how that guy would react to it. But how, how did you take that? No, that's actually a really good thing. I said, this was painful to watch because I know that he's pained and I know that I don't think that me personally, or actually that thing is the reason for his pain. But I can understand, like, if you take a movie analogy, like in Memento, uh, do you see the Memento? Yeah. And so the whole idea that the guy keeps pulling up people and letting him take out the revenge of the person that he holds a person up in front of him and lets uh, Lenny kill people mm. to get that feeling of the revenge on the person that did it. And you needed something to do it. And I, I said, I think he's gathered all that together and gave it a name. And, and that's that's what it is. But I, I thought if you really watched the movie itself, as he said he did, I don't think he'd have the same reaction. Maybe. I don't I don't know. But I said I, I clearly he's pained and and I think And I, I sort of think for the like the be, like the benefit of the doubt or whatever, like if I heard someone had re edited one of my podcasts with someone and taken out my questions, I don't think I'd be that keen to go listen to find out what happened so if he hasn't watched it i can i get it so yeah. un- because the way it's been marketed or reported on in the media it doesn't seem like that pleasant experience yeah i get it no i i understand i don't even want to go back and listen to stuff that i did years ago <laughs> um, so I, I i i am with you on that it's just that he said he did and then he was making these comments on it and i just felt though he didn't but I don't want to be dismissive about that because he, he he is pained about something. And I think the simple thing is, um, and this goes for a lot of actors, is that you go to a, a, a you know an audition and there's a whole lot of rejection and whatever it is you have to learn or do. And he not only went to music school 
and his his dance stuff, he has all this stuff that he trained for. And somebody comes, he didn't even audition for the movie, he says. Somebody came and picked him out for all these years of study that he did and said, you're the guy we want to be in Star Wars. And we're spending a hundred and some million dollars to make this movie. And you're the guy that's going to re- represent this elbow of the entire story. If that's not the coolest thing in the world, like how can you not think that that's amazing? All that stuff he did all led up to that moment. But no one's talking about that. And he, he studied martial arts. No one's talking about any of that stuff. And that's the sad part of it is it's just, I think it's still a journalism thing is no one ever gets, he never gets to be seen in that light that what an accomplishment, um, everything he's done. And that's for all the actors. And it's easier for Natalie Portman because she had a career and she did other movies which she could be featured in a different way which is maybe good for her career. She has said it was pretty hard. Like, do you know what I mean? You know, she's, yeah. she's since won an Oscar and stuff, but she she did say in interviews that to get a like feeding back and you know to do stuff she wanted, it was it was a bit of a you know a hard slog, and you know it's you know and, and then you've got like Jake Lloyd, which is just a, just a tragic. That's story. the one I think would be harder because he can't hide his face. You know, like he had to go back to school mm. where the meanest people in the world are gonna have something to say to him every day. That I I I feel for him. I don't you know. Even yeah. if even if if it wasn't a bad situation for him, people would still make fun of him anyway because he's the kid that was in Star Wars. And it, how else can you get to him? But either be really happy for him, or just be like make fun of him being in Star Wars. Well, just that thing of being a kid and never being a able kid, to, yeah, never being able to blend in. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, just not being able to go to the mall and like have idiots like me go yeah hey it's Anakin Skywalker yeah. can we get a photo please yeah because that's what I'd do I, I I promise you that's what I'd do uh, you would do that well you didn't to Ahmed Ahmed best you didn't even talk to him so I, it was my one my, yeah. my, my five minutes of selflessness there Mike um, but he did then say however also, it was incredibly innovative, which is, um, it's sort of interesting that he he doesn't like it, but he acknowledges, you know, what a um, sort of like a groundbreaking like creation it was. And it, you know, we've in- interviewed other, um, you know, like, or we've interviewed fan editors on the show and, and it's sort of like you're the... You know, you're the the like the the colonel that started that whole movement. It seems that is, is developed into a, a fan edited community that they edit every possible film, from what I can tell. I think it's fanedit.com or fan. I think, edit. I think it might be org. Org. Uh, They're yeah. organizing, but uh, yeah, check that out. I, I, whatever you Google, but you'll there's incredible fan edits that that sort of do stuff like you did, which was you know you know sort of reframe like the scenes and stuff to like tell maybe a clearer story but there's other stuff like you know pulp empire that it reframes empire strikes back as if quentin tarantino was editing it with- yeah those are like the perspective kind of things where you take something in a box you make something new out of it and i've seen that one um you have he, seen it. Oh, he contacted me after your show and he sent it to me and I watched it and it was it's really good. 
you know, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, it really is like Kill Bill sort of uh, uh, version of Empire Strikes Back. And it's clever and the music and all that stuff. Like, it's really neat. It is not a replacement for Empire Strikes You would be completely lost in that sense. But that, it's... It, but, but it, the way it's edited in that non-linear Tarantino work, yeah. I think it starts with Darth Vader telling Luke that uh, about the, the family tree, and that's how the film starts. And then it, ah, oh, it's it's good. Yeah, it's really good. I I love it so much, and 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 it's so fun to like watch a movie that you love. And you've seen so many times and then you see it like reframed in this really fun way. And it's like, I'm watching these same scenes, but they seem so fresh because of... And I don't mean this mean in any way, because this this term sound, but but that's kind of like a a, a novelty type situation where you do a project and uh, in school we would would put things together. They give us a film that somebody shot and we make something out of it. The assignment would be to tell this narrative the best that you could. But there's always be a person... In class, it would be like, well, what if I did it like a music video? And one of the creative things is when you start a shot and there's nobody in it and then guys run into the room, this person edited a whole movie of the scenes where the people aren't in it. And it sort of felt like this weird, creepy horror movie. Now, it's a bad grade because he didn't follow the assignment and tell a good narrative. But in the creativity side of it, it's like, that's awesome. That is so funny. Well, that's up on YouTube as well now. So I I couldn't find it on his. It was a Vimeo site that I had seen, and it got taken down. Yeah, it is actually on YouTube. Okay, that's great. So check that out, Pulp Empire. So Ahmed said when he was working on The Nebula, which was a a sci-fi show that um, I I think he did a pilot of or something. But one of his ideas, which he was going to borrow from the Phantom Edit, was he was going to put up scenes with just the green screen and put it out on the internet for like fans to re-edit and, and send in. So it's, this is like, that's the thing I love about his videos is that he's so like open-minded and like he does see, even though like your work, unfortunately, like, like hurt him or, the thought of your work, the concept, how it was branded hurt him. He also acknowledged sort of how ahead of your time you were. And now it's, do you know what I mean? You go onto YouTube and it's filled So with, much so that now it's something he thinks that might be cool to even do just for the, you know, the social aspect. Like he was sort of like, this would be a cool thing. Was it Van Damme that was the one yeah, that did eventually? Yeah, yeah, did, yeah. Because yeah. that's what he said. He goes, yeah, Van Damme did it and... And it was like a huge success. So, yeah, but he then says, which is so fascinating. Um, As much as I was personally damaged by the Phantom edit, someone took the time to re-edit it. And you have to have a lot of care to re-edit a movie. Editing is hard. The person that did it really cared. How do you react to that, Michael? Well, I would actually ask, do you think that's true? Do you think that I I cared about that at all? Do people think that that's why I did it? Because, like I, some of the things you were saying now, like like the green screen thing and stuff, the idea of doing that would be less about a learning exercise and more to get hits and mm. you know to, to for publicity and things like that and i'm not saying that's bad like pr like hey here's some cool things to download and it's like oh i'm learning about this movie i knew nothing about i think that's cool but um 
the idea of doing it wasn't to get like hits or any of that other kind of stuff. I mean, it, there was a satisfaction that was more very personal on, on my side for doing it. Well, at what point, you know, because it sort of seems like it was sort of happenstance that, yeah. you know, the tape got out. But then obviously... You... At what point did I first find out something? No, like at what point did you sort of go with it? Because you did it again for Attack of the Clones. Uh, I will say that the idea of... The, the Phantom Menace, when people started getting a hold of it, uh, that friend of mine that worked at the studio, each day he would get this list uh, of parties that were going on in L.A. and you RSVP to parties. It could be somebody's birthday party or whatever, and he would get this list and go, hey, do you want to go to Sharon and Doherty's birthday party? And I'm yes. like, yeah, put us down for that. I so do he kept putting us that? down for that, and they would send a list back saying, you're on the list, and we would go to different parties if they uh, allowed us. Because he worked at a studio, they'd think, hey, we want directors and producers to come to these parties. And he started getting notices for Phantom Edit viewing parties. And that's when he called me and goes, this producer, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. I probably shouldn't say anyway, was having the movie play at his house. And he did it multiple times and had people come over. And he's like, I got, I, this is happening. You know, like people are having parties in Hollywood and sharing this duped dupe whatever generation vhs tape with these people and it had to have come out of his office you know yeah. those initial ones but for him to not know how that person got it was the funny part of it but so at what point did you go i'm gonna like you mean go along with it yeah i think you uh, did it again that's what i mean okay but it's different um because the second one was never no one even knew that i did it there were five copies, and I strategically sent them to certain people that were friends with George Lucas in a message, Walter Murch being the most notable of all of them, in that I don't understand why, you know, like, why is he doing this? And I know that you are his friend. What do you mean this? Uh, why he's choosing to make the mo- Like, of all the things in the world, uh, an admirable thing that George Lucas got the ultimate thing to happen, and that is he doesn't have to answer to anyone. He makes a movie. There isn't Disney or somebody above who's paying the checks to say, don't do this, don't. It's the ultimate goal of every artist is to just be free like that. And if you've seen you know, Star Wars, Star Wars was even nominated for Best Editing, and it won you know, for the Academy Awards. It was nominated for Academy Awards. It's seen as AFI's top 100 films of all time. There's a credibility to it in movie making that goes beyond it being a 12-year-old movie. It's just that it's not. It's being told in a very adult way, but it's a fun. That's why it became a, a broad hit. So when he has the opportunity to not have a studio head or anything over his head to do that, he kind of chose to make a movie about showcasing tech, new technology. Mm. And when he sees it, his filter watching that movie is, this is amazing because I've always wanted to do computer walking. That's why I had Pixar, and it wasn't the direction... They weren't able to make realistic kind of things. They could do ray-traced imagery, but they weren't making things that look like real human characters. And so he didn't want Pixar anymore because of that. But here he is looking at it. This dream that he'd had for a long time is a real character. And he kind of just showed it off. And I think the idea of it being, everybody check out this really cool thing I did because he thinks that that's his filter. And if the advertising campaign said, we're going to show you a human character this is going to be, you know, we're kind of bypassing the usual. Like, if you had a preface that wasn't, hey, come and see a new Star Wars movie, it might have been seen much differently. Like, 
how are they doing this? How is this existing? What is this motion capture thing? That's not the way people took the movie, which is probably why it was hit harder. But he had the opportunity to tell this really great story, and he kind of focused more on technology, which, ironically, is the theme that ends up being the the, the evil thing in the Return of the Jedi. Uh, that being, like what people say, that's my least favorite. I said, but it has this theme in it where here's technology, and it's bigger, and it's going to blow everything up, and these little fuzzy creature things with rocks and spears are you get, what... You're getting on thin ice here now, Michael. What, what do you mean? Just... This is not let's not besmirch the Ewoks, all right? No, no. I'm saying this is a good thing. This is all a good thing. <laughs> is that like the whole overthink the, the the thing is they're not they don't have spaceships, they're not out flying in space or anything. They are this here's technology and here's not having technology and they're the victors. Like I think that's that's the fantastic theme of that, that movie. So you sent the letters. Yeah, to they uh, sent the DVDs to Walter. Mer- I can't remember who Walter Merch was. Really, the most prestigious one of that group. Who's that? Um, he's an editor that's one of George Lucas's friends. Okay, uh, he's most known for Apocalypse Now, and he wrote the book uh, in the blink of an eye, which is probably one of the best written psychological books about why you edit, and um, it really spans. It's it's an editing book, but it isn't it's more about your brain. I can give you an example of a simple thing like order being that we're so close to apes and we're human beings. We're almost the same. The difference is, is our craniums develop last, but an ape grows a cranium and then puts a brain inside of it because of their environment. So they're always limited by the size of that. that uh, and we're the opposite of that. And he said, all you did was change the order and you end up with something that's so different, wow. even though we're almost the same. And that's, of course, making analogies to editing and putting clips together. So, did you see The Last Jedi? Yeah. What did you think of that? Uh, probably not the time to talk, you know, like that. But I will say this. You know how people were very quickly complaining that there is a, a bomber ship that would drop bombs, and instead of them... Uh, sorry, fall- sorry, just for everyone, you can't hear me shaking my head in disgust. He's shaking his head. Uh, that there's a, a bomber and the bombs would fall and people were saying, hey, uh, it's space, there's no gravity, why would they, they do that kind of stuff? And so this is a deeper thing, but I think sometimes when movies aren't working, you become aware of something because you don't, like, this is the stuff I've studied, so I look at it differently than a typical audience. So when someone's talking about that and they're saying this movie sucks because of this and they can highlight and they have been doing it for months. Uh, We're going on a year now of people highlighting what sucks about the movie. I'm like one simple thing is why were they out of the movie to notice something so insignificant like that you know like what happened that they were out of it at that soon into the movie to be that observed. I disagree with that. Well, that's how that's how because it's at it's at the start of the film, so you haven't even had a chance to dislike the film. Oh, I did. By then? Oh, absolutely. How? It's the same thing. But I can say I can tell you the point of fails in movies, and one one that is really bad is just the communication with him and Hux. Um, it's asking for a laugh and not being in character to the point where he even says about the mother and the movie comedy. 
there's a training thing in comedy, a TV show covered this, and that is, hey, I just did this joke in a rehearsal and everybody laughed. I did it on the live show and nobody thought it was funny. What, what did I do wrong? He said, well, in the rehearsal, you asked for the butter. She goes, what did I do in the, in the live show? He goes, you asked for the laugh. And that's the difference between the thing. And I said, the movie spends an awful lot of time asking for the laugh. Mm. It's asking you for it. And if you are a person who are, you can quickly be taken out of a movie by someone saying, did you get my joke? Did you understand? Did you do? And it does that very soon in the movie. And it can be the first thing that takes you out. So what do you think of the bomb critique? I think it's like, I think it's the most ludicrous. Uh, uh, ignoring that it happens in Empire Strikes Back. That's and no the one thing. Cares. As I said, you could just go through. You know, it does happen in Empire Strikes Back, but no one has spent time writing about that. And it's been out there for years. The other thing is, it's Star Wars, right? It's in the Star Wars universe. There's a license that you can. Well, no. Hear me out. What do you think we could, as humans on Earth? invent sooner bombs that fall in space <laughs> or hyperspace travel what do you reckon I, I've, I've i've asked some scientists about this and they've they're gonna say a <laughs> a is pretty they're going like with you, the when you make this space. analogy you'd be like so you're buying that but this is what you're having a hard time wrestling with yeah yeah because that's what my whole thing with critiquing star wars is you you you're jumping into this world so you have to have the conceits of this world and it's all made up so if it's like the bombs are falling and then there's like a technical book you know like the 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 photo guy that says they're magnetic or something it's like well that's how propulsion it's just like well you have to let that go now because it's explained can i can i say another story this is uh there's a book called creativity inc and it's written by Edward Catmull. He's a, one of the writers. He's a guy that was one of the founders of Pixar, but in a mechanical sort of way is, how do you make a business out of telling stories and, and doing this stuff? And they spent a lot of time dealing with how do you deal with creativity and how do you produce good things? And a lot of it's based on their failures. And he says that if you watch up, that there's the character who's maybe 70 years old, He's at the end of his life. And do you remember the movie? Yeah. You know? And so there's, uh, you may know his name, the adventurer that he used to watch when he was a kid. What was, okay. But you know that there's a mm-hmm. guy and they run into this person later on in the movie. And um, there was a subplot about why that character who would probably be 30 years older than the old man in the movie. Like why, why is there a difference? Um, and they finally just said, it's not worth taking the time to explain this in the movie because the movie's working and no one is asking that question. And it's been out for years and nobody's sitting around going, wait a second, if he watched that guy when he was a kid, how can that guy not be, why is he like a different age? Uh, And the story had some tangent where there was a fountain of youth kind of thing. It's just not in the movie. And he said, it ended up nobody cared because when it's working, you'll pass through all that, that stuff. And they're really good examples of that. And I'm reading that, you know, in the book and I'm like, I never even thought of that. Mm. And it, but somebody thinks of the bomb thing right out of the way. And I say, it's because they were already out. Something messed up three, four minutes before that that makes you be like, I'm feeling weird right now. And you pick on whatever you see. That's why it's a Jar Jar got a lot of surface-oriented things because if you weren't happy with the movie, it's really easy to say, I don't like it because of that. Mm. But I, I was saying, I, I think the setup of many of those things is why you didn't like the movie. That's just what you could 
point out in a layman sort of way. If you want to spoil your eyeballs with a bit of Steel Wars content, make sure you check out the Steel Wars YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars. There you can check out our bi-weekly hyper chat talk show, check out enhanced video versions of our Patreon Q&As, and I've also started doing some live stream hyper news shows discussing the day's Star Wars news and taking listener calls. To never, ever, ever miss an episode, particularly the live ones, hit subscribe on YouTube and also click that little alarm bell dearly, which will give you an alert when I'm about to go live. That's youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars. And we've sort of talked a lot because of Ahmed about the changes to Jar Jar Binks, but like other things in the film that you changed was um, like the battle droids didn't speak. They just, you know, you got rid of the Roger Roger sort of thing. In your commentary, you seemed very adamant about that. About the ranks? Yeah, and just about the Roger Roger thing. Like, has that softened with time? Like, because that's the sort of thing for me, it's sort of like, I like him not talking the way you did it. But I'm also like, eh, like... How much am I going to care about it? And this is this, and I said that's fine because you're not on the maker side of it; you're in the receiving side of it. And if I ask you to weigh in and put numbers about what you thought was important, you'd be like, "I think that's very unimportant," and that's fine. But on the maker side of it, you'd be like, "What am I losing by keeping that in the movie?" And that's what I wanted from the people making Star Wars: is to sit in the room and have that time to absorb the penalties that you're putting onto people by doing things a certain way. Just saying, hey, let's have him say Roger, Roger. But even just right now, without me spending time watching the movie, I'd be like, but they're all controlled by one ship, which would instantly, as soon as you blow it up, they all have no power. Why would there be a ranking system? Well, that is kind of stupid. Let's just skip that whole thing and not have them talk. It isn't really serving a, like, we need to go over there and get rid of that guy. That might be a reason that you would have a character talk and stuff. But without it, you're not lost in any way. That's why I would opt for that. But I was only able to do that on the DVD, not on the VHS. It gets so much worse in Revenge of the Sith for me. Because in Attack of the Clones, you're introduced to the super battle droids, which at the time were like scary. You know, you know, the get... sound is scary. Yeah. And then by the time, because I, I, I don't watch a lot of professional wrestling, but I study the storytelling at, you know, how you build up drama between. You know, it's it's like this. Like, how do you make two people fake fighting? How do, how do you make it so people want to go spend money to go see it? Because that sounds ludicrous, right? But and the one thing is, you know, you've got to build up like a, a good heel, when, you know, a bad guy. And by the time Attack of the Clones comes, not Attack of the Clones. By the time Revenge of the Sith comes around. These new heels, which is the the super battle droid, they're, they're built up. They've got a rep. Do you know what I mean? Like they they look sort of super scary, and then they're doing all this like comedy with R two D two, like at the start of the film, like literally slipping over in oil, and it's like, well, you've just totally ruined these guys' cred. You've made fools out of them. I'm never going to be worried about the Jedi fighting these guys again. They're they're a joke, and like very astute, by the way. That somebody can say, why does that matter? You know, it's just a joke. Little kids will think it's funny. Why does that matter? 
but you just highlighted something very important. Now I can't look at those other things the same way because they're supposed to be, this is the image that they have. And once you just made a joke out of it, you can't look at it the same way anymore. They're not scary anymore. I don't know. What do you think about my thing? I, 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 I get the feeling that you're not down for it. My concept that Star Wars is for people that are 12 oh, or wanting to be 12. I, uh, I'm saying that that might have been what he intended is to duplicate the same feeling he had when he watched Flash Gordon and they they're not they they weren't made as things that were the making of it wasn't um credible in, in ones that, it's just content that you watched and I think that's what he thought he was making and the inclusion of many other people in that movie who didn't look at it as a 12 year they didn't tell the story in the 12 year old way that's always what I think is the best kind of content is if you made a kid's show, but the making of it still follows the language of good. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Filmmaking. Hmm. If you include both those things, those are things that last forever. And you'll like the kid will still love it when they're older. They'll still find a fascination with it and they find a new ground in it like... The scene in Empire Strikes Back where they're going to freeze Han, if you just are into telling with pictures, stories are happening meanwhile and the editing will be like, put him in and you'll get to see everybody's faces even while they're talking. But a tendency now in the new Star Wars movies is to show this, show you, show this. They don't let things happen at the same time, which is the way real life does. So it makes whatever's happening not feel makes it feel manipulated you already know about it even subconsciously and that's what the original star wars was doing good because i credit his wife by being a fantastic storyteller and what i say is star wars is the original phantom edit it is the movie that he wrote in a script and he made it and they assembled it together the way it was written and no one liked it they didn't like it they thought it was a disaster and then his wife comes in and they sit and have a brain trust conversation. Lucas. Yeah. And then she brings in a team of people. And even um, Paul Hirsch says, I never actually saw the other reels of the movie. I just worked on the last reel. But it was her communicating to him what the, this is what's important about this. What's, you know, just go. We got to move these things. And it all came together. And, and she was able to see where the, how to tell the stories that he wanted to tell. He would just put it down and wants you to decipher what what's cool about it and she would be like no you can't feel this feeling if you do this and she was the one to help pilot his ideas and without her or without that brain trust that's why the other movies kind of feel more like you it's safe to say those are like a 12 year old can enjoy that movie but when you get older it's really hard to digest it that way but star wars you still can and empire you still can um i think return of the jedi is still uh this the, it's the you week back on that thin ice, I, I said, Michael. But I'm still a fan of that one because I said it still follows movie themes that they kind of started that movie. Do you know what movie theme it follows? Just being awesome. Yeah. No. Yeah, but 
they they broke one of the <laughs> That's rules. That's my thing. They broke one of the rules when they made that movie, and that was they started making the they movie. They made it too good. No, they made the movie without having a finished script. So when you're moving towards something, they were kind of winging it sometimes. And that was one of the, the first times that they broke a rule in what they were doing. They didn't even have the ending down. And some of the scripts were like, they fight, they do something, and so they would make it up as they went along. And it, they had a great theme, so that's why it still came together in the making sense. But that makes, in the other way I was talking about, makes it weaker than the other two because they had to dance around a bit. They didn't quite have that. The discourse back then was, I, I guess it was, it was targeted towards Jar Jar Binks and towards Anakin Skywalker. You know, I, I think the actual Jar Jar Binks character is awesome. But it was like, as you displayed in the edit, by sort of trimming him down a little bit and not making, I think you even, uh, you know, comment several times in the film, he's louder than everyone else they, in the mix. Three decibels louder at times than everybody else's voice, yeah. How do you feel now? Like you, you've, you know, you're sort of the, the godfather of the fan edit. And uh, when... Like there was that Last Jedi fan edit, and I use the word fan very loosely, that edited out apparently the women in the film. <laughs> Where it seems like you edited the film to make it, I don't know, like it's, on paper, they can they can be the same thing. You, you're both doing like you're making it more how you wanted it, and but from my point of view, your um, goals were you didn't really even have goals. But it was not from I don't know for like editing women out. It feels like it's coming from like a like a hate filled place. A hate, it's a novelty, and it's it's just somebody being, and they might even be doing that just for the attention. To get people to talk about mm. what they did, you know, like they maybe they don't mean it, but they just thought this is a great way to get attention. Um, and you were relating that to the, but I'm just I'm just wondering how you feel that like this thing that, you know, like, like the film fan edit or the Star Wars fan edit, and like I, you know, like and and, and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, I don't know how many people have seen. Well, actually, yeah. Well, I think the commentary had like 76,000 people and that's just now, but like who knows how many people had that tape back in the day. But, you know, it brought, it was sort of made, you feeling negative about the film, but I feel like the output was a positive output. But then like the same, the thing that you sort of invented or pioneered has been used for this quite like, like hate-filled, like bigoted output. How do you feel about that? Well, I think in the same way, when Star Wars, when I talk about it, I said one of the neatest things was is why it became very seminal for many people is George Lucas opened this door and he started showing kids, this is how you make movies. And if it was just as simple as how you did stop motion, that's more than anybody had ever seen before. That's no more than anybody had ever revealed. And he sort of had this really neat educational side to it. And so the idea of having making new technology so that it was easier and more accessible for people to do this stuff. Then they wrote letters saying, hey, it all backfired on you. You know, Now somebody's taking technology that you wanted to pioneer and do that, and then they're re-editing your movie. And then it's just that's what's going to happen in life, that if something gets invented, 
it's going to get used in a different way than you probably anticipated it. Um, so these people doing this stuff, um, I said a lot of it to me just seems novelty kind of things. I don't think anybody's really trying to be a storyteller in the sense of the, the, you know, the way I was sort of looking at it. But the fun that I got out of it is because that commentary and stuff was out, teachers were showing it at film schools across the country. And one of the neatest things is I'd get strange emails at the beginning of the fall semester from students in an editing class. And they would have really neat conversations about it. And it doesn't have to be, I love it, I hate it. I actually don't like those. If somebody, Just as much as somebody tells you that they love and it's awesome, when they tell you that it sucks and all, neither of those is helpful. But to have that conversation about why they were moved by something mm -hmm. and how that, that's all the stuff that was really blowing my mind. And it took years to get to that. But you asked me why I did the second one. And I said, I think it's still just something that I would just do. But I didn't want to share it with everyone else. Uh, specifically that I said, well, I'm going to reach out to the people that, that know him and say this was what my intention was. And if you're curious about this, I never heard from any of them. That's the way it was. The reason that you know about it is, uh, as I've traced it down, is there was a friend of mine that was getting married and he asked for a wedding gift. And the wedding gift was that thing that you're not showing anybody, can I have one? And it was not even a finished disc. And he must have given it to somebody. And say five years later it found its way on the internet and I know it's from him because there's a tag on it and there's what I call there's an error in it in the disc ah. and so what was on the internet that I finally got to see many years later I'm like that's the disc that went to the person I gave at a wedding and it's not even the my final thing I that said I I did upload every wedding present I got given I I, I there you go. I found a way to put found it a way to it. up uh, um, the coupons and the one thing that this year I've, I've thought about a lot because of the negative reaction to the last Jedi from and, and how people have expressed that because I I find your expression of how you were disappointed into the film to be positive. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you made something. Like you used. I called it proactive criticism instead of just being the guy that goes that coach is awful. And he's this, like, what if you just went to figure out what it takes to be a coach and go be it, like, go, you, you start getting involved in it. Uh, yeah. And I, I just, you know, I think I was talking about it before that it's like, it's, you're not just saying it sucks. It's like, I, I would have rather if they did it like this, here it is. I made it. Like you can, it's there. You, you like, and part of the reason, like I can do this podcast forever is because I'm, I'm fascinated with what people love about star wars and what they like how they what talents they use from outside of star wars to be part of their fandom whether it's you know i talk do you know what i mean you edit other people like paint pictures or write songs or, or cosplay and or write fan fiction i i love like the inspiration and how everyone looks at it slightly different and uses their talents to like to add into the pot, do you know what I mean? Of like all the things that, like I can Google like custom Star Wars figures and like if I had all the time in the world, that could, I could do a week just looking at like cool, whether they're funny ones or intricate ones or like it's, they've redone like repainted faces, like bringing that talent in. And, and that's why like I hope that Ahmed realizes is 
it was, in my opinion, from where I sit, someone not involved with the film, it's a positive form of fandom rather than just like screaming. It it hurts for me to say that like the George Lucas raped my childhood. Yeah. I, I find that like for one. Do you know that's a journalist that said that, right? Really? Yeah. It's just somebody writing an article saying, hey, I talked to these people and they feel that it, like that became a phrase that started getting quoted around. Well, it, yeah. Just like, first of all, just using the word rape yeah. is like, yeah. and then your childhood's still there. It's just, like It's stupid. It's like the, stupid. the photo of you with the Kenner figures and that smile on your face, it's still there. It's... And and this is like what the thing I've been thinking about all this year. It's like how much, like, give Star Wars your unlimited love, but you can only give it so much hate before you can just go, like, because it's not deciding the future of the planet. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just if you just think take it take it as food. Like, if somebody gave you something that you don't want to eat, you don't just keep eating it. Maybe that's not for you anymore, but you used to love it, and it's not for you anymore. Maybe it's that simple. Here's the deal. I was at the McDonald's Museum yesterday, right? You were. And for some reason, my cat was there, and Miley Cyrus was there. But that's a story for another time. But I was talking to the guy that was running the museum about the day I went to the city with my mom. I was very young. And I love the fried. I love fried chicken, and McDonald's used to have fried chicken. And one day I went. I didn't know that. And there was no more fried chicken. They changed it to nuggets. Do you know what I mean? And that's yeah. what I'm saying about the food. It's yeah. like, yeah, they took away my favorite thing. But this thing, it's not exactly the same. But it's still, I don't mind dipping a nugget. You was know? it the same? Did you? Yeah, do you like them? I. Uh, Did you get nuggets yesterday? No. Uh. <laughs> We were talking about it though. It was very, um, very inspiring place to eat McDonald's in the McDonald's museum. You, you definitely remember that, you know, they like, much like much like Star history. Wars, much like Star yeah. Wars. You remember like seeing that figure or you know seeing that character. Foods from the and smells—that's a very big uh, yeah. trigger. Yeah, I've said this on a few podcasts. Like, love Star Wars like a child like dislike Star Wars like an adult in that like how much energy, like how much worth, how much time, like of your limited time on the planet are you going to take to express yourself in that this film series you liked when you were young, the new versions you don't look like, I, I don't get that. And it sort of made me look back at, and and I'm sure this stuff is on the podcast and it's recorded where maybe I've ranted about something I didn't like in Star Wars, like in a comic or in the movies or something. And it's like, oh, should I have been that worked up about that? Like I, I, I try now to have this thing of like positive negativity. So if I don't like something like in the cartoon or in the comic, I'm kind of making fun of myself for caring too much about it. Do you know what I mean? Because... Mm-hmm. The fact that I get to, you know, watch all these Star Wars things and, and read the comics and stuff, it's like, like if that's in my top 100 problems, it's a good, it's a fairly good life. Do you know what I mean? Because other people don't get to worry about 
Disney's direction with Star Wars. Like it, like they would dream of having such problems. It's you know, it's 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 a tough world out there, man. I'm not sure if you've been down to Hollywood lately, but uh, heard of it. Heard of it. If the Phantom Edit story interests you as much as it does me, I highly recommend you checking out Steel Wars episode 16, which is our first in-depth episode based on Mike and the Phantom Edit. While you can hear a 10-minute sample on the normal free feed, if you want to hear the two-hour in-detailed epic retelling of one of my favorite and most fascinating stories in Star Wars fandom, join the Steel Wars Patreon for just $1, which will unlock every classic Steel Wars regular episode for the month, including this very episode. And if you want even more content for $3 a month, you'll also get access to our bonus shows like Making Steel Wars, The Robo Report, Jooklin Strikes Back, and the upcoming Star Wars Year by Podcast, which I'll be doing with Blue Harvest's Hawes Burkhart. All these are easily sent to your podcast app of choice like any other podcast making it super easy to catch up on any and all previous Steel Wars episodes. Plus, your Patreon dollars will go to continuing production of the Steel Wars podcast. And ironically, on the Patreon feed, your podcast experience won't be interrupted with announcements like this. Thank you so much for your consideration. Check it all out at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars. Link is in the show notes. But have you ever, I guess, looking back, maybe, I don't know, embarrassed or you'd like to, you've rethought it about like your negativity around that time about sure. the films? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're uh, less, I think, in. I don't know what was completely said in those commentaries, and I've highlighted that to you. Is it was something that was done, and it's it, I left it there. And uh, I know that there is a story in one of them that I hate that I said. Um, uh, it's in the second one, and it was because at the time there was a little bit of this reporter telling me what they were saying and what they were going to do to me, sort of a thing. And I said, so there's there might have been a, a bit of a strategy on my part to tell a particular story that wouldn't have been something that I would have included. And I did because of the time. And now I don't like it. I'm not going to change it because that's, you know, I haven't messed with any of that stuff, but, mm. but that bothers me. Um, I know that I told you that one of the things I think that bothers me more than anything is um, this writer from the LA times years later finds me and says, why didn't we ever cover this in the LA times? This was like this big story. We never did anything. And we had a conversation and, um, he didn't record it. He just had a little notebook and some things. And he put two quotes from me. Uh, there was a photograph that was taken. And I thought the photograph was really kind of like the coolest thing about it. And he wrote an article and it was mostly where he would just figure out all the stuff that he could write to see that he was a clever writer. But he put two quotes in there that never even happened. And I'm like, did you just write that I say those nine words somewhere in the time we spent together and you made a whole new sentence? And it's this line that says, I'm the filmmaker that George Lucas used to have the filmmaking abilities that George Lucas used to have in law. I, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know what it was, but I remember that came out in the paper and my friends that read it said, there's no way he said that. 
And I said, it's breaking my heart that everybody's reading it. And I went to a, a website and it was just pages of people bitching about me saying that line that I never said. And I said, I get it. I've now been provided an insight that these actors and everything taken out of context and how it could destroy many things that they hold dear like that. And I said, I, you know, I, it's a cakewalk compared to that. But I said, but yeah, it bothered me. And, uh, I just felt like maybe I deserve that, you know, for, for messing with this stuff. And that's what I get. But that phrase never happened. Why he would even invent it. I think he just sort of came up with his own. It, it seems like it's how it was reported. It was sort of like the project was reframed to be far more hostile than you'd intended. Would that sure, be fair? Sure. And the second one does have a little more of a, uh, I hate to use the word comedic, but, you know, kind of, it had more of a, the energy was different about the second one. But I said that it wasn't meant for anyone else to be seeing. Do you think for people like us that watch The Phantom Menace and you hear things like Yippee, do you think that, I, I was thinking about this today when I was watching the edit, and you were talking about the UP that you'd, you'd ditched. And do you think stuff like that bites harder because it reminds us that we're watching a kid's film and it's like, it's treading to that. It's, oh, do you it, think that's why I, it bothered me? I'm just like, I feel like that's why it bothered me. Like, do you know what I mean? Because it's sort of like, oh, just can you, can you just have some self-respect, adult this up a little bit. I know that's not the case for me. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking about it in the writing sort of terms, and so that's the way I looked at it, and I understand what purpose it was negating by being there than serving. That's the way I was always looking at it. But I do know there's things, like there's a movie Halloween. I love the movie Halloween, but when you think about it, it, it set up all these tropes that got used in other movies, and now when you return and watch it, it feels very corny because people have ripped off the same little mm. gimmicks in it. And one of the things in the movie is, you know, is that the boogeyman? And it just having adult people talking and saying that phrase now just feels silly. I still think the movie's fantastic, but it that is where I would agree with you on what you mm. just said. Like that's one of those things that kind of digs at me, just like, ooh, that just feels clunky it, to to me. Not movie wise, it belongs in the movie. It's also interesting, like in Attack of the Clones. And, you know, like the romance scenes, which you like trimmed up a fair bit. I don't, I don't think uh, Anakin... It's weird. You say the word trim, and I always cringe because I never ever say that uh, phrase because it it, uh, it feels like you just went, oh, I moved some things and stuff around. But I say when you juxtapose... Okay, you masterfully... No, that's not it. ...recrafted, Michael. Like you just, you build the narrative <laughs> in a way that the new feel... You take this shot, this shot, this shot, and you now have a new feeling about it. That's why. I, uh, okay, okay. Oh, God. Because somebody just said one day, yeah, all you got to do is splice some stuff together and we're good. I'm oh, like, oh, my God. I love that all of a sudden now you're the precious artist. <laughs> I'm just saying that's why. Respect I, I, my work. I never say Respect that. I never work. say that phrase. <laughs> you could say that phrase. I just won't say it. What word do you want me to use? You use whatever you want. I just said I wouldn't say that. But All right. Well, you hacked out. You hacked out. Okay. Uh, a lot of the romance scenes. But in... Um, in doing the, you know, all these interviews and, and, and talking to other podcasters and stuff and, you know, particularly like ladies that are a bit younger and were at sort of that 
prime, you know, teenage age when Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith came out. Like the thing that got them into Star Wars was the relationships and the romance. And I don't want to be a hypocrite because when I watched Attack of the Clones and you'd masterfully, artistically trimmed. I, these are not my words. <laughs> the um, That stuff out or, you know, you'd sort of, you know, made it as as light Let's say as reshaped. Possible. How about reshaped? Reshaped. Okay, reshaped. Good. We can we we can agree. I'll use that. The um, your reshaping might be editing out what got them into Star Wars, and and the great thing about Star Wars is that you know Lucas, you know, did the thing of like the Western, the the swashbuckling film, the World War film, the romance, the comedy, and he put it in like into the Star Wars gravy. And and we all sort of, you know, some people just love the films because of the costumes. Like, they just want to see what new troopers are going to come out. And it's interesting, and I've been reflecting on it, just how, like, the, like that, like, it's, I think it's not right to say, well, that's more important than another thing, because it's a component of the film, and it's, that's it, it, why the films are so popular because they had all these things in it that appealed to so many, you know, people. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, while we're watching Empire Strikes Back and, and I think that Boba Fett, the bounty hunter's awesome, like, someone else is watching it and they like the love story between, like, Leia and Han. And then in another place, they love the love story between Luke and Leia and we won't go into that, but um, they're, they're living their lifestyle and hopefully not hurting anyone else while doing it. But, um, yeah, do you... Do, have you What's the referee account of what you just said? The referee account? Yeah, like you're acting like a, refer, a referee, and you sow all these things that this person may like this, but this person may like that. And I'm like, when you put yourself in the referee position, you said earlier about like not having like a goal, but the goal was it's to serve the story that existed mm -hmm. and the things that might take somebody out of that story are the things that you're looking for. And even though they may like that little thing, that's a very subjective thing that isn't serving the story. So that's why um, it, it may sacrifice something like you just said. That might have been the whole thing that the story itself was not moved forward by something. So the referee account is, that's why the... But, but that said, the romance, like, you have to have romance in, like, there, there had to be a love story. Yes. Like, at, like, before the prequels were made, like, you know, when we're watching that Leonard Moulton interview and he's like, you know, George Lucas is saying how he's started writing the prequels and stuff. Like, there had to be a love story in it because there was twins and a mother. So... I, I, I mean, I can answer it still that I am in a situation as reshaping that I only have that material to work with. Mm. So in order to get the outcome from that material, this is one of the best ways to get that feeling then. But if we were to redo it and you said that the idea of romance would be like, well, maybe we don't do that, but we focused on this, like stuff that was more story serving. Mm. Than the, but, but that's not an option in the scenario that we're talking about now. Now it is. Here are the the box of stuff that you do have. Make something with this. So you are choosing it that way. But if you went to a more 
like the directing writing side of it. If, like if you're at Pixar, you could just go back to scratch and redo some new shots, which is exactly what they do. Um, but in this sense, they wouldn't have had that. Or he actually did, you know, he re-added in Anakin's arm in one of those scenes to be rubbing her back, which they didn't shoot it on the, the set. That That's the stuff that he actually could do. That creepy robot hand. Creepy robot hand at the end, yeah. Bizarre, bizarre. But, you know, that's uh, th- that's what there is to work with, so like on the chef shows you know they only give you this many ingredients to work with and you try to make something that (laughs) that, uh, appeals out of it but if you were to be given a different license then that would probably be a different outcome i'm interested to find this out you you're aware of what they're doing with like carrie fisher and princess leia in episode nine Mm -hmm. and they're repurposing Mm -hmm. you know disused clips from the force awakens and and the last jedi do you find that that task of going through the footage and, and writing scenes around what's there fascinating? Uh, challenging maybe because it has to happen a lot. Things that get shot when you get given those things that don't tell the story and you do have to rewrite and it is rewriting using what's there. Uh, what, what was the word you used? Uh, I said challenging and you said what? Fascinating. Fascinating. That that's, that's, a, that's something that they have to do because you know gladiator one of the actors in Gladiator uh, passed away and they couldn't do something. So they had to repurpose footage in Gladiator. And do, No one ever talks about that because it managed to be very successful. But are you saying the idea between do we repurpose footage that we shot of her or do we use the CGI kind of thing? No, no. I, I just meant that do you find the whole project fascinating? Sure. Like that's something you'd be interested oh, in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's kind of that another one of those exercise kind of things where you could eliminate yourself from deciding if something's going to turn out to be good or not in the assignment. Like, a good director would come in and look at a a lot of footage, and instead of me saying, what I want out of this footage is for this, he says, can you put this stuff together so that the audience feels this? That's your challenge, and you eliminate your own personal taste for what the audience sees and be like, oh, if they need to feel this way, my training tells me that this is how you arrange that stuff. And that becomes... That's how you have a director shaping that stuff. If they just say, go make something out of that thing, then you can get emotionally involved in it because now you're required to go through and come up with a story and a feeling and all that other stuff. You present it back to them and they say, hey, this sucks. You take that personally. But the other way is the crafty, smart way that directors should be talking to other people and their crews. So that way you're focusing on your work that they would ask you to do. So when you're done, he goes, you totally made me feel sorry for that person or you made me not feel sorry for that person. That's how you know you're doing a good job and you're not looking at the whole big you know, scheme of everything. So yeah, I think that stuff's really neat. I do know that the, the Peter Cushing stuff that's in, uh, in Rogue One, like a lot of people bagged on it. And I think that in the movie, they might have um, weighed on it too heavily and made that character say probably more lines than he needed to say because it was a, another one of those technique things. And it made astute people kind of look at it and go this is uncomfortable i don't like it and so the idea that i don't like cgi characters that that's what they took out of it but i think more it's we don't like what you did with that cgi character and that scenes but i don't think it should be banned across the the board if you could find carrie fisher stuff and make that story together that's the ideal way to do it but really i I think that's a bit like the circle like the emotional the real world circumstance of of how soon she was lost ago and how beloved she is it's 
Like, oh, it, 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 you may be asking me a different question. Yeah. You may be saying, would it be better to repurpose the movie and not do that at all? Oh, no. I'm just saying, uh, my question was just like, if you found what they are actually doing, which is, you know, incorporating those shots in into scenes. Like, and obviously they have to write, you know, they can't just write any story. They have to watch what there is with her saying and go, all right, we can cut her out here and put her there. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I find that an interesting project that it's you have to write this story but then you also have to go through these goalposts yeah. at the same time to use her footage. I might do it backwards from the way you said is you look through the footage and then write with what you have and I have a tendency to be like well what is it that I actually need and then you go through the footage and see like how can I find the parts that I need mm. and when I'm missing it you start thinking okay but in this shot she says and the story is and then the other part we take from somewhere else, she'll be off. Like you find a way to make what you needed out of it instead of, well, this is what we got. Let's make something. I do the, I just figure out what, what it was they need from Carrie Fisher, or I guess the better thing to say is what they need from Princess Leia in the movie. I'm sorry, General uh, Leia in the movie. And then go through that. She'll always be royalty to me. Yeah, she'll always be royal to me. The, um, the thing about the Tarkin, though, is I took in a weird experiment, I took a friend that had never seen a Star Wars movie to see Rogue One for a podcast to see if he could work out what was going on. And he was shocked to learn that that was not a real person because he's not aware of Peter Cushing or aware that Peter Cushing, you know, died decades ago. So, you know, while for us, it was like, uh, I I, I was... I was take they had very creative ways. I wasn't picking it apart when I saw the movie. I I was almost like uh he probably says more lines than he needed to in that scene, but then that makes you kind of start looking around and wondering, go, "Oh, that's not even real." You know, like that you could have tricked me. You really could have it could have tricked the, me. The um a very Australian Star Wars experience was at opening night for Rogue One and, you know, the whole we heard rumors and you know about that it was going to be a target and stuff but no one imagined they were going to go that hard with it but when he turned around the entire audience like they just, you just started hearing swearing people were just like like in disbelief just like going how f me yeah. added like it was the, how is this possible it was so funny just to hear like people couldn't hold in their shock at what had happened. It's 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 pretty amazing. Do you know the story about how they were able to make that CGI scan of his face? I think this is neat. This is another one of those crafty things. As John Knoll remembered that Peter Cushing was in the movie Top Secret, the Val Kilmer comedy, mm-hmm. and in it there's a scene where he has this magnifying glass up into his eye, and he's like walking around with it, and his eye's really big. And then yeah. in the movie, he takes the eyeglass away, and the sight gag is he just has a really big eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And y'all know what? Wait a second. If they did a makeup thing, do you think that they did a whole face cast of Peter Cushing, and it's in a vault? Like the makeup people would still have that. They found a positive of that thing. They were able to make a scan of it and have a real time period, like a digitized face of Peter Cushing from a mask mold from the movie Top Secret, which was, I don't know how many years later, but relatively the same looking. So they actually had that to scan and use for his face to use in the computer world. They weren't doing it from scratch. And it was that little inventiveness. And I went, 
Man, that's really crafty, by the way. Wow. Like, it's the same thing that they'll, they'll have to draw on stuff for well, Carrie Fisher as well. If John Nolan needs a giant statue of a pigeon, he's top, our, top Secret can help him he, out as well. That's right. Or, or a mustache. What is it? It's a pinto. If he needs a pinto. <laughs> I guess, to wrap up, how do you want these edits to be remembered? What should I be telling people about the phantom edits when I'm gushing about them constantly. Well, and and I guess maybe what would you like, the, like what misconceptions would you like to get rid of? of well, a couple of them we, 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 we did talk about, and I think that the one that used to just drive me crazy at the beginning was always, hey, he's cut him out of the movie, and there was a story that um, I met a guy at a, at a party one day, and he was telling me a story about a guy that took a video camera into the movie theater, and he filmed the Phantom Menace off the screen. And he took it home and he re-edited it. And it was this whole thing. And he's telling me the story of what the Phantom Edit was. But he's talking to me. And he's just telling me the story. I said, I, can I say a swear word or whatever? I said, dude, that is such bullshit. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, no, there's no filming off the screen. There's none of this other stuff. And he said, how do you know? And I said, your roommate. Ask your roommate. And he asked him. And he goes, yeah, he's the guy that did it. And he was like, wow. And so we had a whole conversation and I spent time like sort of dissuading all these stories that he heard. The idea that he's cut out of the movie. That's a stupid idea. It becomes a novelty. Also, when I did it, I didn't know what the other movies were. We can look back at it now. There's lots of years have gone by. I didn't know how deep they were going to go with midi-chlorians. That's why there's still a little tiny reference in it because I thought that it would continue on in a a different way. Interesting enough, George Lucas edited them out of the following he kinda films. Did, he kind of did. You know, that it sort of just disappeared, meaning that it wasn't as significant as I thought it would uh, be. What about this for a question? Do you think, after how much that Jar Jar Binks was in episode one, like, did it make sense, storytelling-wise, to have him so reduced in the next episode? Uh, Do you think George Lucas edited out too much of Jar Jar Binks? In I mean, Attack of the he Clones? created a character that was supposed to have value, and then they just sort of took so much out of it in the next movie. Yeah, I mean, just I a... think people like that better, but it seems flawed in his own logic. That why did why did you build this character and then have him say uh, you know these minimal of lines and he just disappears? But I know like his whole downfall is the is that one sequence where he sort of gets power and then turns it over. Like that was ended up being the whole purpose of that. Do you know what's weird about, and, and again, this is just my perspective, but Ahmed said, you know, that what you did was, you know, disrespectful to the artists and stuff like that. And then later on, he talked about um, the Jar Jar, the Darth Jar Jar theory is, you know, the Jar Jar Binks is a Sith and, you know, he, he sort of complimented that as this more creativity from Star Wars fans. And and Jar Jar, and sorry, and Amo Best in the clip is, you know, very positive to Star Wars fans and realizes that, like, the majority of them are just, you know, positive movie-loving people that, you know, aren't out to make people feel bad. But he said that, you know, he really enjoyed the the Darth Jar Jar thing. But I sort of find that kind of disrespectful to the story in that you're, you're like, you didn't 
like change the story of the you know of Attack of the Clones or the Phantom Menace. You just what was the word we decided on? Reshaped. Re- you reshaped it, and in a way that, as I was saying before, like if I showed like Jackie, my wife, who's a big Star Wars fan, but not you know doesn't have the issues that I do, obviously. You know, she could just watch the um, Attack of the Phantom edit and go, oh, yeah, Attack of the Clones. We just watched it. I've participated in that. And the perspective changed. That You're like, I don't know why everybody was throwing such a fit about this when you took somebody that was a blank slate. Yeah, and it's so, you know, it's it's 5% different, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like, you might actually know, but, like, I... It's not this giant change of direction. Whereas the Darth Jar Jar theory is like you're totally repurposing everything. You're changing the whole story of the trilogy. So I sort of, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, drawing a point maybe a, a little bit too firm. That's why I still think that he's still living on the idea of what something is versus what it actually was. And the, the, the cute stuff of that Darth, um, what, what is it called? What Darth Jar Jar? Dar- is it Darth Jar Jar? Is it that simple? Okay, yeah. That, that, that he just liked it because it was, I mean, it's probably an entertaining thing, but his comment was about how it seemed to sort of focus on the, his martial arts training and how... Oh, that he used the, um, the drunken... The drunken uh, kung fu. Yeah. Which is... In itself, yeah. it's contrary to the story of a character who's clumsy, uh, who wouldn't know drunken kung fu, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't... I think it was more that he used that that style yeah. to for the motion know. capture. Yeah, or yeah. Mm. That's why I said he he's fantastic. I wish that the i the, the, like the factor of of the things. I wish that's what could be recognized now. Is that for any of those people? Is they already won by being in the movie and getting the role and being awarded that? And him more than anybody, he didn't even audition for it. They came to him to represent that thing and he was able to use his skills and that's the I'm, I'm sad that that's not the takeaway from that movie that a blame I guess he feels that there's a blame that, that he took uh, with it and maybe that's just the, the service of the movie but that would be the, the, uh, the most excellent thing to do is for him to be recognized mm. for the work that he did put in in his life to get to that point because it's, it's sort of like this thing in human nature when you don't like something like to blame someone or something that's easy for you to deal with. And, and I think a lot of people, it's easy to get, you know, to blame Jar Jar Binks or blame Ahmed Best because you want to continue on, you know, liking George Lucas. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I sort of, you know, see it in modern Star Wars fandom where, you know, someone's like, oh, that, like, if George Lucas was here, They'd be making the Zahn trilogy into books. And it's like, no, George Lucas had no, you know, he was happy those books were there, but he ha- he was like, George Lucas is never going to make someone else's story and had no, like, was so vocal in saying, I've, that's just another universe they're playing, but it's what, you know, that's like a separate, If you, you can go enjoy that if you want, but that's not my sort of, that's not my story. Sure, like yeah. he said, Luke doesn't get married. Um, there's John, like all the what's the other thing? It's always Luke doesn't get married. He turned to a Sith. Uh, there's no clone Luke. Um, 
Oh, the, no, Luke doesn't get married, the Emperor doesn't come back. That, that was sort of, you know, two things that were clear contradictions to his idea of Star Wars. And, you know, people like to, now that he's out of the way and they don't like the new film, they're like, oh, you know, they, if only they kept the EU that George Lucas worked on. It's like, no, he, he didn't work on it. But it's like, you want to blame someone that doesn't make you think... It's it, you want to blame someone and have as little introspection as possible. That's a big part of human sure, nature. sure, yeah. That's that's true. And also, I think it's easier because a person has a name, and and you know, people are like Kathleen Kennedy needs to go. You know, like it, it that's become a, like it's a name with that, and it could just be that there's maybe there's a process or something in that whole thing. Like it may not have a name. It may just be the process of how all these things work. One little piece of it was broken and that's where someone came up with the fact that the mail didn't get to you or whatever but you u.s postal system is screwed you know but it's one piece of it mm. that was messed up and maybe that we're just comfortable with giving it a name like that did you answer the question about how you'd like it to be viewed uh well i like the idea that you had originally uh had even said this to me is that knowing the the idea that it's not about cutting that character out and it's it wasn't about trying to post it up online so you can get views or anything. It really was trying to save something that I loved in a way that the movie originally taught me how to be as a career. And I was using not necessarily my own uh, point of view because when people use your own point of view, you could be like, I'm going to make the pulp version of Empire, you know, because that's like a fun thing. This was, I'm trying to talk to the director that I'm not really talking to, but I'm using the books and everything that I know about him and how he put this movie together to see, like, you broke your own rules, and I'm going to try to not take myself out of the loop and do what you would do based on the things that you had taught me that you do, as if I worked for him. And if it could take the distaste that people had by making these changes and, and change that around, I thought it would be a good thing. At one point, when I, when I listen to the commentary, and, and this is something I pick up in, in modern-day fans or disgruntled fans is and and now it's sort of like um it's not a privilege it's a it's a right and that's to be heard do you know what i mean people want to at someone and, and let them know hey person that made this i disagree with this and i, I sort of noticed a trace of that in the commentary where you, you really wanted it, it seemed you had a, like a real desire to get a response from George Lucas or maybe, and, and you can correct me, but you'd put all this work in and, and maybe that warranted a response. You, uh, you had asked me this before and I said, because originally this was a VHS tape and there was no other uh, side of it. That was almost a year earlier in, you know, in life when that was, was made. And, when reporter people kept trying to ask what you did and look for an easy definition, in my mind, that's why I say it's a failure, is I thought, oh, how can I explain this to people? And they're like, "Make you do the commentary thing. You can put it on the disc. You give it to the person that asks what you did, and there it is. They can see it. But it was asking too much of those people to put that work in and do that kind of thing, which is why they still just said, yeah, the guy cut him out of the movie, and it's great. And that's always still been, I always just said that's one of the biggest failures, is to spend so much time doing that, and then they weren't ever interested in figuring out why or 
how it all worked out. Just they just wanted to find the the journalistic way to to find it all. But as far as George Lucas seeing it, I think I had already gone through many iterations of press stuff and and communication with them through other people. And so when I'm asking about him seeing it, I know contextually at that time that was probably something that I was really thinking of. Mm. Uh, you know, they'd be like, "Well, we could just solve all this if you just watch it or or whatever." But but I am answering but, a question but, for. Was it making like? Were you getting angry about it? Um, like, was it sort of? Like, I don't know that I was. I don't or? know that I was getting angry at at, at them. Um, there was a, a time period where I did get angry at them, and a lot of that was a communication that was coming through a person named Andrew Rogers. Andrew Rogers was a reporter, and I have my issues with this person, but why I always give him credit is whenever he needed to know anything about this, he went out and researched it himself. He went and watched the movie. He did all this kind of stuff, and he sort of empowered himself to be this person that did that stuff. And then he did things later that were sort of uh, a bad, and I'm not a fan of him because of that, but I do always credit him for being the only journalist person who did actually do the, the homework. But I got lots of things from him. And I found that later, I'm not sure if it was a telephone game or he was making up things that they supposedly said to tell me to get to, to an act in a certain way. And it seemed later it was the latter, that he was sort of just fabricating communication that they might have said to get a rise out of me to get something to happen. So I, I don't know. He was the guy that um, had wrote me on September 11th after the crash you know, and was just sort of bitching about the the whole thing to me. And I was like, of all days in the world, really, this is the day that you're going to send an email like that. Like, do you really think any of this matters? <laughs> and so I've never spoken to him since he wrote a letter years later and said, I, I don't know what I was doing. I was really sorry, but and that's just it. Just never talked to that guy again. I don't know what he does. That's like a sad ending to that thing. I kind of like it. There's way more important things than way Star more important Wars. Things, yeah. It's the best thing. It is occupied almost two hours of our listeners' lives listening to us talk about it, and it's it provides so much goodness, but it's it's not like it's 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 it's, it's it, and people get upset, and sometimes like people get angry with me this when I say it's just a movie, and there's only like it's so much around my life, but it's. It can't like it's like it's so important to my life, but it's so down the ladder of what's really important. It's it's like I don't know. It, it's it's, it's going to be it's, even more. It's my visit to the theme park. That's going to be even more your thing. You know, in a few weeks too. That you'll that that's going to be compartmentalized even more. Pretty much. You know, with the Ahmed best thing. If there was a way like that I could help him do something that he wanted to do that didn't have anything to do with this, I would be willing to help that guy out do something. But you know, like this can't, he has to have something else besides this, even if it's just the recognition. So I I get why he's upset and why this I exists. And if we take all this other stuff out of it, yeah, I would offer to help the guy do something. Even if it was his pilot or something that he wanted to reshape and do something and try to repitch it again. Sure, I'd help him do that. I I think um, I'm I'm really happy for him that he's like working on this show and like I feel like you know like that's his chance to like say 
what he needs. I agree. Yeah. To say and and sort of on the you know the twenty year anniversary of it all going down that. Right? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Now the ending of the podcast is depressing for Mike. Um, Yeah, I just... Like, I've got that... Like, I want... Like, I want to be there when... At the end of his hour. And, you know, we get to clap. And I... Yeah, I I, I just want him to be celebrated. Yeah, I agree. I, um, but you know what? Looking, if you just look at the YouTube page, that seems to be what the, you know, for YouTube, there's an awful lot of people showing an awful lot of love, you know, in that top thing very quickly, you mm. know, on that thing. That's good, you know, because that is usually doesn't happen for YouTube. It's a lot of cynicism and stuff. So, yeah, and I sort of, I don't know, I, I like with you know all these films, The Phantom Menace, whatever. It's like, like maybe people don't like 20% of it or whatever, but it's given a lot more happiness than it's like taken. And I, um, I, I really love that, you know, these people, these kids that were, you know, like five or 10 or 12 when it came out and now like in their thirties and they have a voice and that they can sort of say, Hey, that was, that's my star Wars. Like, I rep that. I love it. That was my childhood. And I um, and I think it's really cool that they're respected saying it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because like, I, I think one of the worst things is, it's like, if you don't like a film, like there's only so much you can say about not liking a film. If people are enjoying it and they're having a good time, just let them have some fun. I try to remind myself of uh, that, you know, too, that there are lots of things that, I may not uh, gel with, but I know that other people, they, they don't look at it the same way. They're having a good time. I, I always tell people, I said, look, I, I love the movie Point Break, and that is not a masterpiece of a movie or anything. I just love it. You know, I think it's great. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, Utah. Uh, Michael, where can the good people of the internet you know what? track I, you down? I, I'm not even going to say that. Like, I, I like keeping the economy of this stuff away from... Alrighty. From that. And so I'm this is for you. This you know. Nice. So I don't uh, I will link in the show notes. I would even say don't even put my name. <laughs> you know, just that's fine. Your name's going in there, Michael. That's fine. You're not get you don't get into I, I, I feel like you try to distance yourself away from me now. No. Uh, <laughs> no. But I will put the link. Well that depends what you do uh, after what you did at the McDonald's Museum. Well we'll we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards. But uh the show notes uh, will contain the links to uh, the two Phantom Edit commentaries on YouTube and also to uh, Ahmed Best's uh, field notes, which I uh, all three of them uh, are great. And I, I, I Spell his name, by the way, because there's another person that's Ahmet with a T, Best, and it comes up that way. So, Well, I, always, a, I spell it right. Yeah, you spell it, you spell it right. Hey, man. I'm yeah. a Star Wars fan. You're I know how to spell Ahmed best. Yeah. All right. I admit for the people who are listening who can't see your handwriting. No, you just click the show note. You're right. You're right. It's going to be electronic. It's a modern age. HTTP forward slash forward slash colon. YouTube forward slash Ahmed. Mike, it's. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. And may that force be with you.
It's my wine. I'm going to have to edit this. Oh, yeah. Do it again. <laughs> I'm I, trying I, to reshape your I, ending. I, <laughs> hey, you guys. I really hope you enjoyed our returning podcast with the Phantom Editor, Mike J. Nichols. And as mentioned in the sizzles during the show, if you want to catch up on the full Phantom Edit story, I I really highly recommend chucking in a buck for a month of Patreon and uh, download episode 16, which is a two-hour in-depth epic on the subject. You won't believe where this goes, from Jon Stewart mentioning it on The Daily Show to The Washington Post, setting up a manhunt of sort to work out who the Phantom Editor was. It is a crazy story that maybe could only happen in the early 2000s. What did you make of all this? What do you think of Ahmed's comments? What do you think of uh, Mike's reply? Uh, If you are a Patreon contributor, uh, get on the Patreon page and uh, drop a comment underneath this episode. Maybe we'll do a a little follow-up on the Patreon page with everyone's opinions, or at least I will use that on a hyper new show. But uh, get chatting and let us know what you think. If you're not a Patreon and you would like to contribute to the podcast in a non-financial way, there is very easy ways to help us out. If you are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the like, pod it forward. Uh, spread some love about this episode. And uh, if you're on Twitter, tag us in it. And of course, I will retweet and boost your signal. So get involved there. And uh, if you use iTunes, I sure would love you going on there and writing us a sweet five-star review as it bumps us up the rankings and lets potential other listeners know that we're doing good stuff. And as I've mentioned before, hey, it also makes your podcast host feel warm inside. If you haven't checked out our Hyper News shows, check that out on YouTube, a fun new little live thing that we've got going. If you aren't a Patreon, the only way to catch that is on YouTube, but patrons also get the audio of that episode, along with a link to the YouTube in their Patreon podcast feed, making it a little bit more convenient. And I know some people just like to listen without the watching. You don't want to see my head bobbling up and down in front of the camera. And for that, I can sympathize. And I can sizzle some really fun content coming in the next month in the lead up to the solo home video release. If you've been checking out my social media, which is at Steel Wars, you would know I was invited up to Lucasfilm to film some stuff for Australian television. Back home in Australia, funnily enough. But for non-Australian television viewers, a lot of that content in extended form will end up on the Steel Wars content channels. Those sweet, sweet channels of content. But for now, just check out all the photos because I got to see some really cool stuff. And for those hanging out 
for the upcoming content schedule. We will do a hyper chat next Tuesday, the 4th of September, which in Australia will be Wednesday during the day. But check the website a little bit closer for the exact local times at steelwars.com. Plus, there'll be a new Struthers Wars with Eric Struthers of the Bad Motivators podcast speaking to another Steel Wars Patreon about their favorite podcast moments, play a few clips, and talk about their Star Wars fandom. Always great fun and uh, a good chance to remind you of some of the sweet, sweet back catalogue content that we have on offer. And that will be up tomorrow. And if you're on Patreon, we'll be doing another Robbo Report this week, as well as a Patreon Q&A with your questions. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for your support. And may that force be with you. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. If you're after more Star Wars listening, please check out the Making Star Wars Podcast Network at makingstarwars.net, where you can find such great podcasts as Blue Harvest, First Order Transmissions, Idiots Array, Making Star Wars Now This Is Podcasting, Podcast 2187, Rebel Girl, Rogue One, Tarkin's Top Shelf, The Cargo Hold, and The Sith List. So that's planetbroadcasting.com and makingstarwars.net. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.